So Karen and I were driving in this morning, and I said, so, so help pick the song. It's a, a weekend of Thanksgiving and rejoicing. Let's, let's pick a rejoicing song. So she picked Psalm 97. But I think we should read Psalm 98. <laughs> Let's go to Psalm 98. Actually, we could go to Psalm 100. How about we go to Psalm 100? Yeah, Psalm 100. We'd like to read it out. I guess I would. Go for it. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with a joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is, it is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And enter his gate with thanksgiving. And and his court with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generations. Amen. His loving kindness is everlasting, the Lord is good, he is faithful to all generations. We need to read those things from time to time just to remember. Remember, remember, remember the goodness of God. Uh, because sometimes it's easy to get discouraged. Um, so your homework assignment is to read Psalms 96 through 98. <laughs> Since we skipped ahead to 100. Um, who remembers where we're at? We're in John, chapter 8. Very good. What's John about? John is about uh, knowing who Jesus Christ is, uh -huh. and knowing who he is, believing in him, and abiding in him. Excellent. Know, believe, and abide. In fact, abide was the, uh, the uh, key word in the sermon last week. Um, and what we're going to see is a little bit more, even though we're looking at the public ministry of Jesus, we're going to see a little bit more what it means uh, to believe and abide this morning. So, who knows where the, the theme statement of John is in his gospel? John 23. Very good. And you guys, you guys just got this down. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written into this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. <clears throat> so, John wants us to know who Jesus is. And that um, in coming to know him, not just intellectually, not just in, in the mind, uh, but actually uh, appropriating that uh, understanding in belief. So it's like, how do you how do you believe? It's an issue of the heart, and it's very difficult to try and describe to somebody how to have faith, right? So John is is trying to help us understand the nature of belief and what it really means. And um, even though there's no prescription for how you uh, come to believe, when you come to believe, there is evidence that will be uh, shown forth in that. So that's. That's one of the things that we're wrestling with is uh, the fundamentals of belief in John. Understanding who Christ is and what it means to truly believe in him. So where, who remembers where we left off in John last week? And what, what has been going on as we progress through John? We left off where Jesus was talking about uh, he and the Father being one and he is doing his Father's work. Yep. So they thought he was from Galilee, but he wasn't. 
just a beer coffee. <laughs> <laughs> what, he's, what, he's been, what he's up to and what he's been doing is uh, showing, he's fulfilling the uh, requirements for the Passover lamb, and he is uh, challenging the traditions of religion in way of showing himself as being the only way to uh, life, which is life in him, which is so you've been wrestling with this. This is good stuff. So he's challenging religion. Um, is religion bad? Well, when people blow themselves up in the name of religion, that seems bad. Religion is just a framework. It's not good or bad. That's right. Religion's a framework. So we, we practice um, disciplines in order to uh, accomplish... Um, what is it that we're trying to accomplish through religious practices? Become good enough to be with God or develop our own way of uh, life. To be, to be good enough? Yeah. To have a better understanding of who God is. So to increase our understanding... Have a relationship with God. Have a relationship with God. So I think the ultimate goal of religion would be uh, relationship, right? So if we're um, if we have uh, a purpose in our discipline, it is to better know God, right, and better know Him through intimacy and relationship. So religion is not bad. Um, and in fact, the, the practices of religion that the Jews had set up were actually really good practices. They were actually instructed to, to do some of these practices. Um, and so, as, as they're going through these practices, what happened? What caused the Jews to get off course such that Jesus felt he needed to kind of correct the course, help, un, help them understand what the religion was about? I don't think they were getting it. Yeah, I don't think they were getting it either. The practices became the end in themselves. The practices became the end, rather than the relationship being the end. So, um, you know, we, there are a lot of different disciplines that we do that take a form of religion. Like, uh, my son right now is doing, um, he's, he, uh, a, a little less than a year ago, ran his first marathon. And since then, he's run two half Ironmans, uh, several Olympic uh, triathlons, um, another marathon, two, two other marathons, preparing for another marathon. So he kind of went all in. Right? He's worn out several pairs of shoes. Um, so he's uh, disciplined himself uh, to win the race. And uh, it's... He, now he's he decided he's going to put that aside. He said, well, I'm going to quit training for Ironman. I'm going to start pressing weights instead. So I expect he'll do the same thing. Next time I see him, he'll probably look like Hulk Hogan or something. <laughs> um, because he's, he has that kind of mind. Once he latches on to something, he really goes for it. Uh, and I, I know that that can be an end in itself. Right? People will bulk up, uh, become fit just for the for the benefit of being fit, which I'm not quite sure what the benefit of that is. Yes? Tell him we missed him in our class. <laughs> he, was, he was actually here this week. And, uh, and it was interesting because, you know, I worry about these things. I think, well, is my son becoming religious for the, for, for the purpose of religion, right? Um, or is he actually, is this about relationship? And it is actually about relationship for him. So we were looking at Exodus in our Friday night study, and he said, oh, that's my favorite book in the Bible. Of course, he says that about every book in the Bible. <laughs> he kind of takes after his dad. But I said, so why is Exodus your favorite book? And uh, he said, well, it's, it's a book where God gives us his personal name. And he describes himself as compassionate and merciful. And yet he doesn't separate his mercy from justice. Right? And so I'm sitting there listening to my son wax on about uh, Exodus and why Exodus is is a profound book in the Bible. And I realized, yeah, all that weight training is not just for the sake of winning the race. He's actually doing that because it helps him actually have a clear mind in his study. He actually is uh, working to be a teacher. 
Um, and he actually has a job of teacher. He's uh, in charge of the teaching uh, ministry of Teen Challenge down in Phoenix. And he's looking beyond that to revising the curriculum nationally to uh, um, make it more relevant to people today because it really came out of uh, the movement that started back in the late 50s, uh, early 60s with uh, Nikki Cruz and, and Dave Wilkerson and those guys. And so he's, he's looking at, like, how can I make this more relevant? So that's what he's doing. It's like, wow, you know, wish I had that kind of discipline. I don't, obviously. So, um, you know, that, that's what religion is supposed to be about. It's supposed to point us to um, who God is. It's, it's intended to help us to know and to believe and to abide. And yet, it's very easy when you start practicing those disciplines to make them an end in themselves and to not get the, the relationship part. It's, it's, Robin was just you know, reminding me about the Sabbath timer in the ovens. The Sabbath timers in the ovens? Yes. The Sabbath timers in the oven? <laughs> Pardon? It's where you just set the, the oven to turn on during the Sabbath. Oh, yes. You can't, you can't turn it on during the Sabbath. Oh, yes. That's right. Because it's work to actually <laughs> turn on the oven <laughs> and to cook something. Yeah. So the reason for uh, time to bake is so that we can... Have dinner on the Sabbath. Yeah. <laughs> See, now that's religion for religion's sake, right? Tradition. Yeah. <laughs> and that too. Tradition too. Daniel. Uh, religion seems like it's a like a set of rules that you come up with to say if you do all these things, and if you do them good enough, then you can achieve the type of uh, future or afterlife that you want. Right. And the, right. the Sabbath timer thing. Uh, no, actually, they were they were supposed to have gathered enough so that they would have would not have to work on the Sabbath. So you had to you had to make it. You had to have it made in advance so that you could just kind of graze. So so your oven probably counts as like part of your house though, right? Like as far as livestock and your oven. <laughs> well, they had all sorts of rules about what you could do and what you couldn't do on the Sabbath. And one of the things that you couldn't do on the Sabbath was do any kind of preparation, because that was work, right? You had a limit as to how far you could walk, and, and uh, they had all sorts of different rules about what you could and couldn't do. And one of the things that Jesus did... He said, man, you guys, you got this totally spun backwards. What's the Sabbath really about? This is actually one of the, the primary declarations of, uh, of God, right? About, when, you know, we're looking at Exodus, for those of you that are in the Friday night study. We're looking at the, the uh, expression of God's uh, sovereignty through uh, powerful works, Right, that he is truly has authority to uh, over creation, and so and that he is God and no one else is. So we see sovereignty displayed. We also see God's holiness displayed, and we see that, for example, in the law. The law is about God's holiness. It isn't a prescription; it's rather um, declarative. It's a description of what it looks like to be um, to to possess true righteousness and holiness. And if you were to be in relationship with one who has true righteousness and true holiness, what would that look like? Well, it would look like the Ten Commandments. It would look like the sundry laws that we read about in Exodus, how we set ourselves apart um, for communion with God. And so that's why you see uh, the Fourth Commandment is about keeping the Sabbath, right? And yet, it'd be really easy to make that oven timers. Um, it'd be really easy to ignore life and what God is doing on the Sabbath. God's working on the Sabbath. He's upholding life. So it makes sense that we should join in what God is doing. As his creatures, we should join him uh, as the creator. And that's what the Sabbath is about. And so Jesus challenged that straight on. He said, you know, if, 
I'm going to bring life on the Sabbath. I'm going to do what my father does. And that's what chapter 5 was all about. And he even couched it in a conversation about the true nature of life. What it means to have life within yourself. And he didn't separate that from his mercy and his justice. Right? So you see all that in chapter 5. And the people kind of scratched their head and and didn't get it. And then we saw that progress through chapter 6 as he challenged um, different aspects of the religious practice of what they're doing. How How does God provide for you? How does he sustain you? How do you, um, as a creature, join with him? And we saw that in chapter 6 and chapter 7. And now we're seeing the same thing in chapter 8. We understood that he is um, that which nourishes us, just like it says that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God. Right? That's very powerful. God spoke everything that we understand He spoke that into existence. From nothing, he created everything. That's what the Bible tells us. And that's what sustains us, is God. What sustains us is not turkey. Um, Turkey is good. Cranberries are good, right? But what sustains us is the very words of God that he speaks to us, which is why I start with the psalm. We're going to read a psalm uh, generally, We read Isaiah a couple weeks back, but uh, we're going to read from God's word every week because that's what nourishes us. That's what sustains us. So he said, I am am the bread from heaven that comes down from heaven. Um, He said that he was um, the well of life that springs up, right? That he is the water that they had in their religious ceremony. That was all about him. Him being that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he actually is divine. He is God present with us, which is what makes Christianity unique among all religions in the world. No other religions claim this, right? They may claim a prophet. Take a look at Islam, for example. What's the claim of Islam? That Muhammad is... Right. So there is a transcendent God and then there is a prophet that speaks to us from that transcendent God. God actually came down and dwelt among us. What it's, that's what it's, the beginning of John starts out. It says, uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, although we uh, didn't understand. Right? If I go back to chapter 1 of John in verse... 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. It says, John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him or exegeted him for us. So this is describing who Jesus, the man, is. That he is the Christ, the Son of God. That he is the bread which came down from heaven. That he is um, the living water. That if you um, partake of that water, you will never die. And he makes these statements like that. You will never die. That's amazing. So no other religion in the world teaches this. This is unique to Christianity and what makes us an offense. Because people don't like hearing the truth if they want to dwell in the darkness. And this is where I wanted to start in our discussion this morning. Is We all know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment. It says this is the judgment. That's something to pay attention to. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light 
for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God or born in God. So that's what's, I mean, John is laying it out for us bare, right? He's trying to help us understand what it means to know and to believe and abide in Christ. Where we left off last week, I believe, was we got to verse 31 of of chapter 8. Does that sound about right? Exactly. And I I read through, and I'm going to read through uh, the remainder of chapter 8, and then we're going to try and unpack that in context. Because right? we want to understand the context of what's going on here. This is in the context of the Festival of Tabernacles, which part of the Festival of Tabernacles has to do with all of these different aspects of the religion. Right? The, the uh, deliverance of God, the provision of God, um, the life of God in the water that they would bring from the Pool of Siloam, and the light of God they would light the lamps in the courts of the women. So, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, and this is important, the people that are his audience right now are those that heard what he said and wanted to know more. They believed in him. They weren't just like, ah, oh, guy's nuts, and went on their way. These were folks that wanted to sit at his feet and learn something. And Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So immediately he throws out a very significant statement to challenge them in learning. So you've got to imagine Jesus is a master teacher. He knows how to um, present truth in a way that causes us to step back and say, what? What did you just say? And that's exactly what these people do. They answered him. We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now, I'm going to stop right there for a second. They said, we're Abraham's descendants, never yet been enslaved to anyone. Yeah, they don't know their history. A little bit of denial. Yeah, so automatically you see that these folks already have an agenda. Their agenda is, is, don't tell me that I'm oppressed that I'm enslaved, I'm a free man. Now, were they truly free? No. Were they free physically? No. no. Even Rome at that time was... Yeah, Rome was, Rome was their oppressor and their conqueror. And before that, it was um, the Greeks, and before that, it was the Persians, and before that, it was the Babylonians, and before that, it was their kings who went off sideways. Right? Their own kings. When they were given self-rule, they didn't they didn't do it uh, the way that God intended. Don't forget 430 years in Egypt. Yeah, and that was after they had come out of Egypt and went through the, the time of the judges, right? So, I mean, this whole picture of the Jewish nation seems like, unless you go all the way back to Jacob, and even Jacob was um, a servant to his uncle Laban, right? And he left his uncle Laban, so he threw off bondage. But nonetheless, I mean, you look at these guys all the way back to Abraham. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't an owner of land, right? He was a man of great stature, um, and he's the one that they all looked back to and said, yeah, Abraham's our father. Look at Abraham. He left the country where he had an inheritance, where he had wealth, and he went to a place that was not his own. He called himself a stranger in the land. You know, at one point he went down into Egypt, and he was uh, down in the, the desert area and in the hill country, right? And he didn't own but one plot of land. Does anybody know what that plot of land is? Uh, the grave. The, the grave, that's right. Where he buried, he actually bought that. And that's where he laid his wife. And that's where he was laid. And that's where Isaac was laid, right? And so that tomb, that plot of land that he bought was in a city called Hebron. Hebron, who, who knows anything about Hebron? What, what can you tell me about Hebron? Pardon? David was from there. That's right. 
David was first king in Hebron. David was from Bethlehem. And if you look at a map, so we're going to look at, at uh, the tribes of, of uh, I'm going to blow this up loud on that. So um, Israel, and I can't tell if that's in focus or not. My head is not in focus. <laughs> This area up here is where the tribe of Dan settled, and they weren't supposed to be there. They were actually supposed to be out here in the coastal plain, but the Philistines were there, and they didn't want to take on the Philistines, so they went north. Um, but this is the northernmost part of Israel proper, and it went all the way down here to the southernmost part, and the southern, the word south is Negev, so that's what they say, this is the Negev. And that area in between is where those 12 tribes were settled. And some of them actually ended up over here um, because when they came into the land, they, um, they said, wow, this really looks good, this Mediba Plateau here, and we want to do some farming there. So they made a deal with their brothers. Anyway, so this area here where Hebron is, is it's right down here in the hill country. Here's Jerusalem. And as you march down this ridge right here, you'll see it's a little bit darker. Um, you get to Hebron. And Hebron is right here in the heart of the hill country. That's where David, who was of uh, the tribe of Judah, where he descended from, he was actually born in Bethlehem and was first king in Hebron. That was the only piece of land that was actually owned by Abraham. Now Jacob subsequently, a couple of generations after Abraham, Jacob, who had his name changed to Israel, actually bought another parcel. He bought a parcel in the north, up at this place called Shechem. And so you have a couple of parcels that were bought. For the most part, though, these people were always strangers in the land. They didn't, they didn't come in and develop the land from nothing, where they actually had title to it. They came in and they either took it by force, and, and which is what happened under Joshua. Um, they had very little places where they actually legally had right to the land. So in many ways, the Palestinians actually have a valid claim today. But the Palestinians aren't claiming the land. They're claiming the birthright. Their discussion is not over who owns this chunk of, of real estate here. Their discussion is who has the legal claim to Abraham. Right? And so when the Jews here say, hey, we haven't been enslaved to anyone, we're Abraham's descendants. This is the oldest argument between the Jews and those that lived in this land. It goes back a long ways. So what's happening today is exactly what was happening back then. It never got resolved. right? And these people were really proud that they could trace their heritage back to Abraham. And today, there are two groups that trace their heritage back to Abraham. The Jewish peoples, which are the remnants of the tribe of Judah that came out of Babylon, and that's where we get the name Jew, um, and the descendants of Ishmael. So Ishmael had 12 sons too. There were 12 tribes from Ishmael, just like there were 12 tribes from, from Jacob. And so the descendants of Ishmael um, also have a claim on Abraham as his descendant. So I, what I, and even though this isn't about, this is about the Jews, this isn't about it, the, uh, the Muslims, nonetheless, the argument is still there and valid and cooking today. Who is the rightful heir of Abraham and what does that mean? What does it mean to be an heir of Abraham? Well, they thought that because they were an heir of Abraham, that they were uh, descendant of Abraham, they had a right to the promise they had the birthright. Um, so the promise of Abraham, what, who knows what the promise to Abraham was from God? He's going to give him this land. Pardon? He's going to give him this land. He's going to give him land, a land. Yeah. And what else? They'd be God's people and he'd be present. They'd be God's people, that they would have a relationship with God. And that that relationship would be blessed with his presence 
and not his absence. In other words, they wouldn't be cursed, they would be blessed. And so three, three aspects of the promise is that there would be God's people in God's place with God's presence. So I alliterate that three Ps, right? Um, people, place, and presence. So when we take that, we're not descendants of Abraham, are we? Yes. Yeah. We are. Galatians 3.9 says we are deceived. Yes, absolutely. That's exactly right. And Paul wanted to make sure that we understood that a descendant of Abraham is not one who is necessarily a blood descendant. A descendant of the promise is one who is like Abraham in faith, in God. That God made Abraham a promise and Abraham believed it. And it was counted to him as righteousness. The very righteousness of God, Abraham um, appropriated through belief and relationship with God. Now, it's not possible in a sinful state to come into God's presence. So what has to happen? You actually have to have the holiness and the righteousness of God to be a person that is part of the kingdom of God, to be God's people in his place. And to be in his presence, you have to have righteousness and holiness. And we don't got either of those. But Abraham was actually able to appropriate the righteousness of God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And he, he appropriated that through faith, that he believed the promise of God. When God declared it, the word of God, Abraham believed it in a way that changed his life. It changed his life in the way that he lived. Not that he was perfect, but that he, was, he understood that God was one and had life in himself and could give it to whom he chose. He understood that so well, we read, in, we read in Hebrews chapter 11, that he was willing to take the son of promise, Isaac, and offer him up as a sacrifice, believing that God could raise him from the dead, that God had the power of life and death. So Abraham was a changed man, right? And to be a descendant of Abraham meant that you were um, associated with the inheritance of Abraham, that you inherited the promise. And we understand law and inheritance through blood right. But there was a different blood right that was going on here. It wasn't a physical blood right, but it was a spiritual blood right. These people are claiming a physical blood right. Jesus is talking about a spiritual blood right and how you actually enter into the promise of God, how you actually can be a descendant of Abraham, which applies to us which I think is really important. Because if this book is only about the Jews, it's interesting, but it doesn't mean anything to me. It actually does mean something to me. Jesus answered them, I'm in verse 34, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. So the first thing he does is he challenges them about the nature of freedom. Right? He says, the truth will make you free. They say, we're not enslaved to anybody. He says, no, 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 you have a real big problem. You may not think that you're physically enslaved, but you're spiritually enslaved. That's what he says. You're a, you're a slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So the slave has no right to the promise, no right to the inheritance. But the son is the rightful heir. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. So if the Son actually promotes you from slave to family member, you share in the inheritance. You are no longer a slave, but free. And that freedom comes with a blessing. That's what he's saying. That you actually uh, share in the inheritance. You actually share in the promise of God. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. So now Jesus is addressing their argument straight on. He's saying, okay, you're claiming you're a physical descendant of Abraham. Um, 
I'm talking about something different. I'm talking about a spiritual descendant of Abraham. Um, if you were truly a descendant of Abraham in the spiritual sense, you wouldn't be trying to kill me. And yet, because you're trying to kill me, that's evidence that you are not of this spiritual descendancy. Does that make sense? That's the argument that he's making. He says, I know you're Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. Ouch. Daniel? Uh, how, did, how did they go so quickly from believing in him to wanting to kill him? In that? So these are people that um, they heard him speak. They did not immediately reject him. So it says that they were believing in him. But were they true believers? Were, so we understand that there are a lot of people that come to church that occupy a place in a pew um, that have no relationship with God's Son, Jesus, the Christ. We know that because people are saved in church, right? People are saved outside of churches too. But people will come and they'll spend... Because they're, you know, maybe their parents are Christian. They come to church because their parents went to church and that's where their social group is and that's, you know, what they know and understand and that's how they feel comfortable and interact in the world. So, sure, you go to church, um, but it has absolutely nothing to do with Jesus, right? So, there are people who would say, yeah, I believe. I'm willing to hear this, um, but have not truly trusted in Christ for life. So, what happens is, is you actually have to make an additional step in belief. Your belief means that you have no, you acknowledge that you have no life in yourself. That you actually don't control your destiny. That you don't have authority over anything other than that which is delegated to you. Your authority is completely delegated. You don't have anything that's natural. You're right. Um, and that all of your life comes from God. And when you get to that place, you say, oh my goodness, I'm totally lost. And you turn to the Lord and you say, I'm going to trust you at your word. That what you have done is sufficient in order to save me. To redeem me back, to pay the price. Right? And not only that, but... Um, I'm forgiven in that, but I also now share in the very life that you have, that you give. So that's an additional step of trust that we understand what happens when a person makes that step. And there is no like measure of this. There is no like pray in the prayer and then you've got it locked in type of a deal. Um, what it is, is it's a change in the heart where God takes out that heart of stone and he puts in a heart of flesh, a heart that can respond to him. And that the evidence of that is in the way that people live. In other words, they're not going to try and kill Jesus. Right? They're going to live differently. That's why Jesus says, I know you don't have this, because you're trying to kill me. Now, was it these people that were trying to kill him, or was he making a general statement? That might have been kind of the, the source of your comment. It's like, well, these people said that they're believing in him. Why are they trying to kill him? Well, the, the comment was the, the, was the source of it was how quickly um, it seems that they turned from believing in him to being the ones that are going to kill him. Whether it be he, that they are... He challenged them. He told them they were sinners. Uh, and or maybe he told them that they were going to kill him. And they, uh, well, we, they, killed him. So, so... I would expect there were people from all walks of life that were present. So where where they were at, where this has taken place, and I got a picture here of it. Let me bring it up. So where where this was taking place was right here. So this is the court of women, and uh, the they were at the the stairs next to the treasury, and Jesus was teaching. And so this would have had. Jews, not Gentiles, because Gentile couldn't go beyond this, this, uh, this gate right here. But in here, there would have been people from all walks of life. Rich, poor, 
Pharisee, Sadducee, uh, none of none of that you see. Um, I mean, all these folks, right? Um, so some of them would have been just listening, and they would have. Jesus says, "You're a sinner," and they knew what that meant. That meant that they were unrighteous, that they were not able to be in relationship with God. And now, part of their their claim, now hold it, we're Abraham's descendant, means that they have a right, that they are righteous as Abraham was righteous, because they're a descendant of Abraham. They inherit that. And what Jesus is saying is, no, you're a sinner. You don't have the righteousness of Abraham. And... Some of those would have been in a position where they would have been quite indignant about it. To the point of, I'm going to get up and walk away. This guy just offended me. He, uh, he said bad things about my father. And that's exactly what Jesus was intending. He said, I know who your father is. And you don't want to, you don't want to be in that family. Um, because that family's going nowhere. Truly. And so... Um, that's what's happening here. He, he called them sinners, and they're like, who are you to call me a sinner? Who are you to call me a slave? And he, he just laying it right out. He says, this is the truth. He says, <clears throat> let me get it right here. Isn't he just kind of pointing out what their hearts were? Just other people, if he said, you're sinners, they would agree, and wow, I realize. Well, some, some I expect yeah. agreed, yeah. and they just, they just hung out. Yeah. He says, uh, the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. Uh, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. So he's saying the evidence that you don't actually believe this is the way that you behave. They answered and said, Abraham's our father. Jesus said, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. What was the deeds of Abraham? His belief. But as it is, you're seeking to kill me. A man who has told you the truth so if somebody walks up to you and says, you know, your clothes are dirty, and you haven't showered in a year, and you stink, go take a shower. Are you going to be offended because the guy told you the truth? Well, that's kind of what's going on here. You might be offended, or you might take a shower, right, and wash your clothes. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm telling you the truth, but as it is, you're seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham uh, did not do. In other words, Abraham uh, demonstrated belief, but he didn't come and uh, present judgment before the people. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's judging them. He says, you're doing the deeds of your father. And they said to him, we're not born of fornication." We have one Father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. Now, is it because they couldn't physically hear his word? Their heart was not going to accept what he was saying. That they were fallen creatures, lost in sin. They were not true descendants of Abraham because a descendant of Abraham would do what Abraham did. Instead, what their behavior suggests is that they're of a different father, um, one who is only about lies and murder, right? The anti-life. And Jesus is saying, why do you not understand what I'm saying? Could he be more plain than this? Well, when you're talking about spiritual uh, reality, it's very difficult to use phenomenal language and be clear. At least that's what we've come to understand. You know, we study the word and we study it our whole life and we continue to get new revelation from it because it's spiritually um, given and contains spiritual truth. And until our heart is ready to appropriate that revelation we don't see it. We don't get it. 
which is why we keep coming back. It's like, I want to get it. Right? I'm going to practice religion because it brings me into relationship. Not because religion makes me righteous, but because being with God will make me righteous. And that's what's, what he's trying to say to them. They can't hear his word. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks, a lie. He speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? I speak truth. Why do you not believe me? Man, this is like so in their face. Why would they not be offended? Pardon? If they don't hear it. If they heard and recognized the truth speaking to them, they would not be offended. If they did not hear, they would be offended. You just called my daddy something bad. Right? This is like, you know, we, our culture has called your mama something bad. You, know? you just called Abraham, Abraham Satan. That's right. He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. Ow. So Jesus is being quite offensive. But he's being offensive to those who actually... Um, at least initially, wanted to hear. They wanted to hear the truth. They recognized that this man was speaking the truth. If nothing else, they recognized that he was no normal dude um, and, and had something going on because he turned water into wine, he did all these miracles, right? So I'm going to listen to what he has to say. And that's what's going on here. And finally, because of the offense, the Jews answered and said to him, do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? <laughs> well, they started out believing up above, and now yeah, yeah, yeah. And now they're calling him the two worst things that they can call him: that he is associated with the devil himself, and in rebellion is a demon, and that he is a half breed. Right? It's like, man, they're really calling out his family here. That's what they're doing. They're basically dissing God. And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Again, he's speaking truth. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. So Jesus, even though they just offended him, they basically just said, well, they said the worst thing that they could say. Um, He didn't respond to that other than to say it's not true. And by the way, this isn't about me. I'm not seeking my glory. I'm not trying to be a big man of God here. I'm trying to tell you the truth. But there is one who does have the right to judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, why does he throw this in at this point? This is an incredible statement. That I mean, think about it. If you're of God, you have life. Well, their whole history is one of you look at the generations of Adam, right? Go back to Genesis. You have Genesis being broken up into ten divisions. The second division is called the generations of Adam. These are the generations of Adam, and it gives uh, the descendants of Adam all the way down to Noah, right? Ten generations. And if you read those, it's like he was born, he had a kid, then he had a lot of kids, and he died. He was born, he had a kid, then he had a lot of kids, and he died. And on and on and on. And what happens in the generations of Adam is it always ends, and he died. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll take that as, as, a, as a separate set. <laughs> But what we see is at the end of and he died comes a judgment. A judgment of the whole earth. Right? Of all mankind. That's the judgment that happens at Noah. Right? So we understand that there is birth, sin, death, and judgment. 
That's what's going on. And all of a sudden this guy says, he says this, if you keep my word, you will never see death. Wow. That alone should cause people to say, you're a lunatic, or you're a liar, right? He's really the Lord. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. Surely you're not greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets died too. Who do you make yourself out to be? That's the question. Who do you make yourself out to be? Who do you think you are? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he, was, uh, and he saw it and was glad. So he's helping them in their phenomenal language understand what's going on. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? So this was in around 32 AD. In fact, I think this probably took place in October 32 AD. I can give you the exact date if you're interested. Mm -hmm. Um, And that Abraham was back in a period of around 1800 BC. So they're pretty far removed from Abraham, right? He's long dead. You're not even 50 years old. And you've seen Abraham? Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Amen. He's, he's answering their question. Who do you think you are? God. That's what he answers. I'm the one that has life in, my, in myself. Um, remember I told you that back you know a couple of festivals ago um, and by the way I have life and I can give it to whom I choose and I am the judge I am the one who actually can discern the light in the darkness and I am the light therefore they picked up stones to throw at him but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple so we're coming up real close to the time you guys haven't started giggling yet which is interesting <laughs> verse 56 your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad what was the day that Abraham saw when, why did he rejoice um, Abraham saw um, theophanies we understand that and that Abraham actually uh, walked with the angel of God going down to Sodom and Gomorrah pleading a case that if there would be any righteous that they would be spared. But Abraham also believed in the spirit of his righteousness. He believed in becoming Messiah. And, you know, so in, in that regard, he saw the coming of Jesus. He, he saw Jesus' day. And when he's, obviously, in, in, in another place, Jesus says that God, uh, God is the... Uh, God of the living, not the dead, and he mentions Abraham. Yep. So Abraham is seeing Jesus today as he's speaking here. Well, this this is actually problematic, because some of the Jews didn't believe that Abraham had an afterlife. Um, the Sadducees didn't believe in any kind of uh, life after death. Their whole, their whole deal is about uh, let's uh, keep the people group alive through tradition, and so there were some that didn't believe that there was any life after death. Then there were some that believed that there was life after death, and there was Abraham, righteous in the bosom of God. And we understand that from, uh, from one of the sayings of Jesus, that he was speaking to that, that there was truly life after death, and that there was a separation, uh, a division that occurred between the righteous and the unrighteous. And Abraham was on that righteous side, Right? But Abraham passed away and was no longer to be seen. And what Jesus is saying, no, 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 you'll live forever. So he could be talking about that aspect of their uh, religious understanding, about uh, a spiritual existence, uh, but not about physical resurrection. Jesus was, I think, actually talking about physical resurrection. 
I think he was saying, you know, you will live. You will have eternal life. That um, your life will not have an end. And that there is a corporeal aspect to that. That you were created uh, with a body and, uh, and I'll just say an immaterial part, a soul, spirit, heart, mind, will, all of those different aspects of us that are immaterial. And that that was God's intent. It wasn't that God created this as a stepping stone to get to some greater place. He actually created, um, he said, this is very good when he created humanity. So our original creation before sin entered in was um, something that God highly regarded. And that's what Jesus came to do was not to uh, restore, but to make new, right? And we do understand that as a restoration in the sense of God's original intent. But you actually will have a, uh, a spiritual body, Paul talks about. And Jesus demonstrated it when he was raised from the dead and he came into the presence of his disciples. And Thomas said, you know, I won't believe unless I push my hand into his hand. Unless I actually experience those scars as eternal scars for me firsthand. And so Jesus said, hey, touch me. Know that I am real. This is your reality. That's what he was saying. This is your reality. You will not taste death. And I think that's what he's, uh, what he's saying here. And when he says that Abraham rejoiced to see my day, what the promise was from the very beginning when, when man fell, God went looking for him. That there was an intent in God's heart to be in relationship, into, into communion with his creation in man. And that from that very beginning, there was an implicit promise that there would be a covering, that there would be a way made, that the... Um, the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. Right? That death would be destroyed. That became more refined down to Abraham where the promise was given that all the earth would be blessed in his seed. Singular. And Paul makes a big deal out of this. That it was the singular descendant of Abraham that would bring about the full blessing of God that we could truly be his people, that we could truly be in his kingdom, and that we could truly experience communion with him through his presence eternally. Right? Abraham saw that, and he believed it. Abraham saw it and believed it. He saw the Redeemer. Even though he didn't see Jesus' face, he knew that the Redeemer was, was his. Yes? Years 11... Starting in verse 8, he says, By faith Abraham, and goes through all the things that he did. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Yep. They believed God. And it was counted to them as righteousness. In other words, Abraham was saved. So did salvation occur before the cross? Yes, because it looked to the cross. Does salvation occur after the cross? Yes, because it looks back to the cross. It's all about this one. And that's what Jesus is saying. I'm the one. And the people picked up stones because they didn't want to believe it. It didn't fit their agenda. That's the risk and the, the peril of religion. The fact that they picked up stones also speaks to the people who hear people say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. He absolutely claimed to be God, and that's exactly that, what they understood. Yeah, they, they, they understood it. Yeah. Yeah, and we're going to see them do this more than once. In fact, we're going to see that that's the final, final statement. And Jesus um, ascribes to himself the deity of the Son of Man to the high priest. It says, after this, it says, as you say, I am the Christ. And after this, you'll see the Son of Man coming in the clouds, just as it was foretold in Daniel. That's my edition. But the high priest knew what he was saying. And he said, I don't need to hear any more. Because my heart's already hardened. You just judged yourself according to my religion. And Jesus was saying, no, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about one. Um, and 
this is where we got to end because I know I went way over this morning. Uh, but I think that this is really an important question. What did Abraham see? Um, what does it mean to be a descendant of Abraham? And who is this one they call the Christ? Let's go ahead and close here. Lord, we thank you for opportunity to come to your word this morning. And uh, Lord, it's just so rich. And there's just so much that we even passed over this morning in reading uh, this passage of John that I just ask that your spirit would, uh, would prick the hearts in this room with the words that you've uh, recorded for us and that we've read and that we've spoken. Lord, that they would become living words, that you're, they're your words, and that you would challenge us in deeper truths as we, uh, as we live out our days, Lord, and that um, you would reveal yourself to us in a very personal and uh, tender way, Lord, as we know that you are compassionate and full of loving kindness. And Lord, we, we desire that. And we also desire your justice, even though um, in that we fall so far short that we're totally lost, but we know that we have life in you because you said so and for no other reason. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we ask that you would be with uh, Bob this morning as he presents your word. Lord, we uh, ask that you would protect us as we go out into the world in a crazy time when people don't get who you are. Uh, Lord, help us um, speak your truth. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all this. We ask for your provision, your protection, and we thank you so much for your service to us, Lord Jesus. Amen. Yeah, Abraham also believed in physical resurrection because uh, he believed God could...